Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. The Great White Throne Judgment. What is that? Where is that? It's in Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15. And it describes the events after the millennium. It describes the events that occur as the the wrap-up point for the um, uh, activity of the millennium. Now, just think about that for a second. We're talking about Jesus is coming back here at some point in the coming decades. We don't know how long out that is, but it's not 100 decades. It's some number, some small number of decades. And when he comes back, he's going to rule for 1,000 years. And here... We're learning about details of the end of that thousand years that even help kind of wrap up the activity of that thousand years. So that's what's going on here. So with that as your uh, little intro point, I'm going to go ahead and read Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Notes are being passed out to you now. I really want to thank our notes team for all the work they put in tonight. We had some complications, so thank you. All right. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So let's uh, talk a little bit about what's going on here. Some of it obvious, some of it maybe not as much. This is a very important moment if the Father wants to come back to the planet. The reason that I say it that way is because there is a barrier of sin that is keeping the Father from dwelling with mankind. That issue of sin has not been fully resolved in the cross. It began at the cross. The fact of sin and sinners and sinfulness is still very much a reality right now. If God came to earth to dwell on earth now, he would have to completely destroy us and it and everything else. It would not go well for us. And so this is a final judgment of all sin, all sinfulness. This is where the, uh, the final wrap-up of dealing with the sin that occurred in the garden, <clears throat> the sins that Jesus died for, the sins that, we're, that we commit now that we ask for forgiveness that we're forgiven of, it's when all of it in totality is dealt with. Finally, this is the moment. This is a very important moment. This one is another one of those dates that the Father has circled on his calendar. I mean, this is one that he is like, he really cares about this date. <clears throat> that this is when he knows, oh, wow, that's when everything changes. So if you ever wondered why doesn't the father live on the planet right now, because he's going to and he will forever. 
Why he doesn't right now, it's because of the sin that was occurred that occurred in the garden and then all subsequent sin as a result of the sin nature, all that breaking of covenant. So reading here, Revelation 21, verse 4, just a little bit later, this is what happens after sin has been completely dealt with. It says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is what occurs as a result of the great white throne judgment, all sin, pain, death, mourning. You know that the wages of sin is death. We know that. We're talking about death being done away with. Sin is done away with. This is a very important reality. The father uh, judges uh, sin and completely uh, removes it, completely deals with it and in all of its finality. And after that, he goes around, he wipes everybody's tears from their eyes, says, they're there. You don't got to fret no more. The old order is done. I'm here now as your father, and we're going to do things differently. It's beautiful. This is a beautiful new start. So while the millennium is a new beginning, a thousand years later when the millennium's over, there is another new beginning, and it's even better and even sweeter. Now, let's look at the passage. Him who's seated on the throne... I just, uh, I find it interesting that he's calm, he's composed, he's poised, he's not infuriated, <clears throat> he's not pictured as standing or out of control. He's dealing the greatest judgments that have ever been dealt with. He is, he is uh, uh, giving finality to all judgment that's ever been um, uh, uh, given before, doled out before. This is a very calculated moment, and in this calculated moment, he is calm. He is poised. He is seated on this throne. He is not, you know, infuriated or like Zeus throwing lightning bolts. I mean, he is very calm and collected, okay? The intensity of this moment, we, we see that it says that uh, earth and, and the heavens flee. Some translations might say earth and sky. Earth and sky, I think, is a better, uh, uh, more correct uh, interpretation of what's happening here because it's not talking about heaven fleeing. It's talking about the sky fleeing. And we also see that the word for earth that's used in verse 11 in chapter 20, it's often translated land. So it's not talking about the planet earth fleeing. It's not talking about planet earth like disappearing or something. We've actually got a lot of reasons why we know that's the case. But there does seem to be something about sky and earth in relationship to the proximity of his throne where it's fleeing. It's almost like a hurricane force. And so there's a bit of mystery to this fleeing because it does say flee, not disappear. It does say flee, not destroy. And so it's some version of the, the dirt and the atmosphere around the coming of his throne in whatever context that is. It's fleeing, and I just imagine it being much like a storm uh, in the way that it's fleeing. Now, one of the reasons we know that this word fled, I mean, it, it says it fled, but one of the reasons that we know fled doesn't mean destroyed or, you know, removed or whatever, is because it's just a couple of verses later that we see the sea is doing stuff. Hades, which is in the earth, is doing stuff. We see the activity of the of the land uh, uh, on the physical, um, you know, topsoil or whatever on the on on the uh, crust of the earth. 
the sea, it has activity just a couple of verses later. And then Hades, which has its place at the center of the earth or somewhere beneath the crust, the abyss, we see that it does stuff. It says that they give up their dead. Well, they can't give up their dead if they've fled and fled means disappeared, gone, destroyed. There's activity of these two things that deal with both the top and the internal of the physical earth that are doing things in just a moment uh, later, you know, in the same passage. Anyway, I point all that out, just and Lake of Fire as well. The Lake of Fire has a permanent uh, place on, the, uh, on the, the surface of the earth during the millennium and beyond, and it has activity related to it in just a verse or two after this, the earth and the uh, heavens fled. Anyway, I just want to give you that. It's important that we, we, know the how to, we, we know those details and we know how to break down passages. It's important that we look at the context so we don't ever jump to conclusions and go, that must mean this. Look at the verses before it and the verses after it and verses elsewhere in the Bible that are related to it to get more of the story because that fled does not mean the earth go bye-bye. It, it doesn't mean that. And there's plenty of reasons that we can know it. All right, so I'm going to keep going because we got a lot of notes in just a little bit of time. Uh, this is a calculated time of judgment, as I said, uh, number two on page three. The scene depicted here is the Father in manifest glory acting out final and calculated judgment. All the sins of history are judged in this moment. Restitution, everything is, is made right. No more crying or pain or, or death or iniquity. It's all dealt with. Just to give you a few verses here that kind of help us to understand uh, a little bit of insight into what we're reading in the Revelation 20 passage that we just looked at. Matthew 10, 26 says this, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. No sin, no unrighteous deed, no false motive, nothing. He said, he said, there is nothing, these are the words of Jesus, and I just imagine Jesus is imagining certain checkpoints throughout history. And with the great white throne judgment being a really big checkpoint, the biggest, where he says, guys, you're not going to be able to get by with anything. There's really no secrets. It's not real. It's a, it's a farce that we've convinced ourselves of. He says there is nothing concealed that won't be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Nothing. Next, Numbers 14. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. There have been so many guilty men throughout history. So many of the guilty that in their life they died unpunished seemingly. They died having, at least according to the courts of man, not having to have given account. It says, oh, but trust me, the Lord does not leave the guilty unpunished. That verse in Numbers 14 is actually primarily, this is maybe a little bit of a shift for you. That verse in, in Numbers 14 is primarily talking about the great white throne judgment after the millennium. And we'll look at that here in a minute. That's what that verse is primarily addressing. And I'll prove it to you here in a minute. Exodus 32, 33 through 35, Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. The subject of God's books is part of this passage we'll be looking at. Now go and lead the people to the place I spoke of 
and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. <clears throat> now, in the most direct sense, God was dealing with the nation of Israel and the specific sins that this group of people had just committed and that God was saying, don't worry, I'm going to make sure they get their comeuppance. That's a theological term if you didn't know it. Um, but he says, but in the, in the bigger sense, this subject of when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish. That verse again, in the most like a strict sense is mostly referring to the great white throne of judgment. Not only, but primarily the time of punishment. That's when this comes. Because if you, uh, well, well, we'll get to it. I don't need to get ahead of myself. I've got it in the notes already. The dead give an account before the throne. This is the, the big deal. I looked and thrones were set in place. The ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, hair on his head, white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. This is out of Daniel chapter 7. It's describing the scene of this throne, which uh, we need to recognize that God's throne is a chariot. If you don't know Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel 10, God's throne has big wheels, and those wheels actually have the living creatures connected to those wheels in a, dyna a dynamic way. It says that the spirit of the living creatures is in the wheels. The wheels have the same eyes all around them that the living creatures do. It's the most interesting passage of scripture you can possibly read, not on drugs. I mean, my goodness, it just, you'll feel like you are. It is all these eyes and wheels and it's, it's intense. Okay, uh, Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10 describe this scenario. Anyway, the dead are going to have to give an account before this throne. This is a really intense throne. And that's where this judgment is occurring. And they're going to be judged according to life choices. Revelation 20 verse 12. I'm in part B on page 4. The judgment isn't arbitrary. It's exacting. It's not, oh, you're good or oh, you're bad. It's exacting judgment. Look what it says. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books bad he knows when you're sleeping he knows when you're awake oh my gosh this is so intense i'm telling you they they stole that line straight out of revelation chapter 20 like it's not the santa claus ain't the deal this is a real deal moment where he knows every deed and he's writing it down. I'm sure he's got scribes, but he's making sure it happens. Deeds done and they're going to be judged according to him. Each person was judged according to what they had done. Revelation 20 verse 13. They were judged according to what they had done. Now in this process, the sea gave up their dead. This is an interesting phrase because it, it accounts for all of those that have ever died at sea whether it's shipwrecked or drowned or eaten by some creature, whatever the case might be, or murdered and thrown overboard, whatever it is, all of those that have died at sea, of course, not the redeemed. We've already gotten our resurrection before this. But here it says, all those that have died at sea are going to come back to life. The dead, do you check that? The dead were judged the ones that specifically had died at sea is in this phrase, meaning they're going to get resurrected. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead for the wicked as well. 
Then it says death and Hades give up the dead. So everybody that's ever died in any capacity. And Hades, which is filled with the wicked. All those that have died, just so we can get a little bit of clarity and kind of move up towards a point that I'm going to be making. Anybody that's died in this age, they don't go to the lake of fire. They go to Hades, which is awful, but it's a vacation resort by comparison to the lake of fire, which is their final destination. Right now, Hades, which is horrible, the abyss, which is horrible, is a five-star resort by comparison to their future reality, the lake of fire. They are currently in that holding cell, that prison. Most of the time, Hades is described more as a prison than it is eternal torment, because the eternal torment happens next, okay? So, death and Hades give up the dead. So everybody that's in Hades, they've been waiting to get out. They're like, man, we cannot wait to get out of here. They get out and they now stand before the great white throne of judgment and the father up there in all the glory. And he opens the books and they're like, oh no, don't open the books. We thought we were going to get like another shot. He goes, oh yeah, you can get a shot. All right. I'm going to deal with all of your iniquity. We're going to talk about all of it. And then I'm going to give you what you deserve. So intense. Then it says death and Hades that just got emptied out. Now these empty death and Hades are now thrown into the lake of fire. And a moment later, all of these who just gave an account that came out of death and Hades are going to be given to the lake of fire. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, there it is. It says it, uh, bottom of page four, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. But this is when that occurs. No one is in the lake of fire right now. That's going to occur later. Okay. It is so intriguing and like God that there is no end to upgrades. Even when you're talking about hell, hell can get worse and it will. That reality of separation and darkness is going to get upgraded. Now, part F, top of page five, I just gave you a bunch of verses about the lake of fire. We've, that's a subject we've already studied. I just wanted to give it there if you needed a quick reference. Let's now go to the books of heaven because this is a, a fascinating subject. There are so many books. I mean, I have a feeling that all you bookworms down here that love libraries, I have a feeling you're just going to be delighted when you go upstairs <laughs> because I have a feeling that whatever we've got down here, no eye has seen, no mind has conceived. <laughs> what the Lord has prepared. So, you know, when we come up with ideas down here, as, as, I mean, I was going to say especially sanctified, but there's, their only ideas down here are ideas that God gave that then were either used for good purposes or were corrupted. There's no like new ideas. It's not like God's like, I can't believe they thought of that. <laughs> Technology? Are you serious? It's like, wow, that's so cool. I mean, the Lord is, no. Things can be used for evil or can be used for righteous purposes or anywhere in between, but there's no new ideas. So the subject of library, I think, was definitely, I'm sure God built the first one and that whoever built the second one down here and took credit is going to get a rude awakening when they stand before him. You took credit for that? Really? All right, Revelation 20, verse 12. 
I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Interesting, there's books that need to be opened in order to accomplish the great white throne of judgment. (laughs) This great white throne judgment moment requires heavenly accounting to be laid open because remember Jesus said there's nothing that's dis- that's hidden that will not be disclosed. He said it will all come out into the open because it's all being written down. It's all being drafted. And we're going to open the books and we're going to deal, we're going to do business at the end of the age. Now Revelation 20 verse 12, just later in it. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. There's books again. Revelation 20, verse 12. Another book was opened. Just like we got this book and this book. And, oh, yeah, and there's another book and there's the book of life. And we've got a book and book and book and book and book. There's all these books. Okay? His book. I just gave you a few verses on this. 139, Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Your book, God's book. So in addition to these other books, we got his book. Exodus 32, this is now God speaking first person. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. God has a my book. Book of sins. That's my interpretation of Revelation 20 verse 12. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So these books are recording sins. And the dead are going to be judged according to what's written written in them. And that's really a bad thing. So it's like, I mean, you got a journal. Do you have a sin journal where you just write down only your sins? Because that seems to be what this is. This is like, this is the secrets of everybody all in a book. The book of sins. They are judged according to what is written in these books. And they are going to be assessed accordingly. The book of life. Revelation 20, verse 12, another book was opened, which is the book of life. Uh, All of the wicked from history's past (coughs) will be dealt with in this moment. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. If anyone, you mean so-and-so from the year 12? Yes, that guy specifically. He will be dealt with if his name was not written in uh, the book of life. He will be thrown into the lake of fire. This is a highly accounted for moment. Calculated. God has got it all lined up. And names being blotted out is a really intense concept that is not one man made up. It's in the Bible on a number of occasions. God's ability to blot out someone's name. Psalm 67, I'm sorry, 69, 27 through 28. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not listed with the righteous. Psalm 9, 4 through 8. You've sat on your throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You blotted out their name forever and ever. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. This is David seeing a vision or speaking out of the overflow of his spirit and accidentally prophesying about the great white throne of judgment. This is really intense here. Says the Lord reigns forever. He's established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. This is is talking about the millennium and beyond. Like, this is really intense. I just want to throw out this concept. 
if the subject of the great white throne judgment moment is not one that you're so familiar with, you probably heard it before, I want to invite you as you read judgment passages to start to picture where that judgment passage fits in redemptive history and, and in redemptive future. Because many of them are related to the great white throne judgment moment, like the one that we just read. Okay? All right. Now, I don't want to spend much time on it, but I do got to give you at least an overview of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is a little different. This is for the uh, redeemed. The great white throne judgment is primarily for the wicked. Okay? Not only, because we'll look at it in a minute, it's not only for the wicked, but primarily. The, great, uh, the judgment seat of Christ is only for the redeemed. And so this is the, this is the reward. It's, the, it's judgment on the uh, great white throne side. It's actually assessment and reward on the judgment seat of Christ side. But that reward, it's not uh, given out you know, universally or flippantly. It is also according to the deeds of men. So this judgment seat of Christ... This is one of those subjects as believers, we want to live with this reality real to us, fresh. We want this to be something that we think about and that we measure our decisions based off of this idea that it's actually in our mind and not way, way back in the background. There's a difference between sentencing and the imparting of eternal rewards. The reason I say this, there is no in heaven right now. So your, you know, your aged, you know, grandmother, whatever, loved God. She prayed you into the kingdom. She's so pious. She loved God. And now she's there. She's in heaven. There's no question in her mind of, am I going to heaven? She's in heaven. There's no question in her mind of, am I going to get kicked out of heaven? No. She's been sentenced. Heaven eternal reality in Christ. But she has not yet received her eternal rewards because your starting point, biggest eternal reward, is your resurrected body. Nobody gets that until Jesus comes back. Jesus said his rewards are with him. So the moment of reward comes when Jesus comes. So what that means is there's people in heaven right now that kind of like the people in uh, Hades, they're kind of like their life right now is as good as it's going to get, and it's going to get worse, even though right now it's bad. The people in heaven right now, their life is as bad as it will ever be, and it's going to get better. <laughs> it's, it's just the opposite. Okay, God is so poetic like this, because the ones that are in heaven right now, they're not awaiting sentencing. Their sentencing is clear, but they are awaiting impartation. They have not yet received the fullness of what they will be given as their inheritance, as their reward. There's just so much about redemptive history that for even those that are in heaven right now that is still awaiting them at future moments, okay? All must give an account. I just want us to see this, important detail. Paul, Romans 14, top of page 8. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each person will give an account. Now, that occurs at different times for different categories, but there's no question each of us will give an account. I just want you to think about that. 
I do not want to stand before that man on that day and have not much good to say or have only please forgive me's look you're going to do some stupid stuff you're human repent quickly and walk with God walk with God make your life about the stuff that will matter forever we know people there might be some of you in this room if you're not careful that are going to stand before him and you're going to be filled with so much remorse for the way that you lived your life I don't mean you lived bad I mean you didn't live fully for him and you're going to have to give an account and it's going to feel horrible <laughs> you're going to realize you wasted your life and you gave yourself the things that didn't matter you lived like this life was all there was and constantly the testimony of the scripture is live for another age live for another age you were not created for this age merely this is an internship for forever live like you're gonna live forever we want to get this rooted deep within us so that we don't fall into the lie that your life is the accumulation of goods that your life is the accumulation of stories and ideas and friends I appreciate goods and friends and stories. This is not what our life is about. Our life is hidden in Christ. This life that we live, we now live for the Son of God. And if we're living some other way, we're going to stand before Him and have to talk to Him about that. Everyone. He's so kind. I don't want to disappoint Him. It's not about going to hell. It's about forever being called least in the kingdom of God. Forever. And there will be those that are called least. And some of them might have platforms right now. It's not about size of ministry. It has nothing to do with that. Size of heart, size of reach, size of love. Now, these, are, these are heavy things that we want to live like this is true. We want to live with this reality. Let it impact our decisions and what we choose to do and not do. 2 Corinthians 5 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Oh my gosh. These are Bible verses I want to erase. And you can't. You will stand before that judgment seat and you will give an account. Matthew 12, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. By your words, you'll be acquitted. By your words, you'll be condemned. I just want it clear. We're going to stand before that judgment seat. All right. So now let's give just a quick little overview of when do which categories of people have to give an account? Because it says everybody has to give an account, but not everybody shows up before that judgment seat at the same time. We show up in phases, like according to the uh, the the calculation of God and the and the purpose of His history, uh, His uh, His storyline unfolding. So let's just look at the different groups and when they give an account and in what setting. First, the resistors. So remember, the survivors, the ones that survived the great tribulation, they are going to give an account actually at the great white throne of judgment. And here's why. They die before the great white throne of judgment. The resistors don't refer to the resistors' children. We're talking about the ones that actually survive the great tribulation. We don't have any reason to believe that any of them will live 1,000 years. 
It says that people will live longer, but that's even going to be a progressive thing. There's going to be all these systems that are put into place that keep making life better and better and better. The likelihood of any person surviving the Great Tribulation and making it all the way to the Great White Throne Judgment thousand years later, there's no, there's not going to be anybody. I mean, the Lord might sneak one in there, but you can go ahead and say no one. Resistors, therefore, when do they give their account before the judgment, before the, the throne? When is it that they get to receive their reward? When do we get, they get to receive their, the fullness of their inheritance? I believe it's right here at the great white throne of judgment. Because that's when all the dead that haven't been raptured have to give an account. Well, if they died during the millennium, and they will, then I believe they're in that category. Next, the dead in Christ. The dead in Christ, they give an account to the Lord upon entrance into heaven. We've even heard people's testimonies of, you know, those that have had near-death experiences, and it was like they were almost like lined up to give an account before the Lord, and the Lord like said, do you want to go back? kind of thing, those sorts of things, because they were on their way to their moment of judgment and assessment. So back to your, you know, pious grandmother, she's already had to deal with this subject of having some sort of accounting moment, or she wouldn't have been entered into heaven. I mean, there would have been no way for her to get in there if she had not had that assessment moment uh, of, of her, uh, her judgment. But again, there's a difference between judgment and sentencing uh, and uh, impartation. She's not yet received her rewards. Good old Aunt Ethel. All right. The raptured, presumably in the air. Presumably the raptured will deal with this because when Jesus comes, he's coming with all of his glory. He's coming. It says his reward is with him. And so if it's not in the air, and this is just my logic, if it's not in the air, then there's no like, there's, there. You don't let somebody join your army unless you vetted them first. So there has to be an assessment of, yes, actually, you're in the Lord's army. Go ahead and get in the line. Oh, yeah, here's your sword and a resurrected body. They're getting their resurrected body. You don't give somebody a resurrected body and go, oh, you know what? I'll judge you later. I'll, I'll get back to you. Well, am I going to lose this thing? I, we don't know. It's up in the air. I don't. So some version of... That rapture moment and our appearing with him, I mean, this is a really intense idea. Some version of that is including our judgment assessment. Next, those born in the millennium. So all the children of the survivors, they will be judged at the great white throne of judgment. Because remember, Revelation 20 says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. But that means that at this moment, there will be those whose name was written in the book of life. And they won't be thrown into the fire. They will be given their inheritance and their reward. Well, who is that group of people? Because all the raptured have already been, they've already received... That group of people is those that are born during the millennium, okay? Uh, and then lastly, the wicked from all of history. Hades gave up the dead that were in them. I told you a little bit about that before. This is the resurrection of dead promise for all, all the wicked throughout history. They will receive their judgment when they stand before the great white throne after the millennium. Okay, great. We made it through nine pages of notes, barely, sort of. Let's break up into groups. Luke, how many groups we got? Three groups, six, seven. If you're a group leader and you know it, raise your hand. One, two, Caitlin. Caitlin, can I get you to move over here today? And then Luke, just group over there. Andy over there. Groups of six or seven. 
Uh, let's break into discussion groups, and then we'll come back for our time of uh, Q&A at the end. Great. So the question is, uh, it's talking about in Revelation 20, death and Hades gave up their dead. Is, uh, is death a different thing in compartment than Hades, or are those two things the same and it's a redundancy? Definitely two things, and here's why. Um, so Hades is describing the place where the dead have gone that have died uh, and are, whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Death is describing a much broader category. It's describing those who's, who have uh, not, who, who died during the millennium, but whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but who have not yet received their sentencing because they haven't gotten a resurrected body, they've not faced the great white throne of judgment yet. So it's that category of people um, as well as all of the wicked uh, in history that have uh, gone, uh, uh, that, that, well, no, I guess that, that category would be Hades. So the, the major distinction is those in the millennium that have died, are they in Christ or are they in Hades? Uh, and so if they're in Hades, Hades is giving up its dead. If they're, uh, if they're in Christ, much like at the, uh, the return of Christ, there is this resurrection of the dead. There is going to be a resurrection of the dead in order for those to be able to stand before the Lord and receive uh, sentencing. Um, and so great question, a great point of distinction. You know, it's so interesting when we start studying all these nuances, there are times where a, a category means one thing in a certain time frame but it actually applies differently in the next time frame because other events have unfolded. And so paying attention to the details and chronology is really important when we study eschatology, especially when we start throwing in millennium and post-millennium because that just changes up so many different things. I mean, God is going to continue to judge forever. He's a judge forever, but his judgment looks very different in the ages to come than it does during the millennium, than it does during this age, than it does during the brief window of the three and a half year period tribulation. I mean, just a lot of differences there. So, uh, excellent question. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, the question more or less is related to the father being a gift giver. Uh, and the question is in relationship to, uh, so end of tribulation, and now Jesus comes, we receive our reward, we get a resurrected body, uh, we get to live out the millennium with our eternal reward, it's going to be incredible. But during the millennium, we're going to serve faithfully, and we're going to be doing things for Jesus. At the end of the millennium, there is another reward and judgment moment, great white throne, we just talked about it, where the dead are going to be raised, and so that is a, a resurrection of the dead that's going to occur after the millennium for those that died during the millennium because his death gave up its dead so that they could have a conversation with God, okay? So let's call that a resurrection. Whatever that looks like, we don't have exact clarity, but some version of resurrection, okay? So at that point then, those that lived out their days in the millennium that were faithful to God, just like you and I are faithful to God in this age, they're going to receive their reward. Andy's question was, will we who served faithfully during the millennium under the new orchestration of God's government with a resurrected body and doing our new part, will we receive a reward? I can tell you this about the father. He is a gift giver and he will never not be a gift giver. And he carefully, he diligently rewards those who earnestly seek him or he, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
that verse counts now, it counts in the millennium, and it'll count a billion years from now. He rewards those who diligently seek him. So the word says over and over, if you do this stuff, I'll reward you. Those don't become nil when the millennium starts. Perhaps how they are applied to us and what ways and what cool upgrades. I mean, Red Bull gives you wings. I mean, like, what do we get when, like, what do you get? I don't know. I don't know the answer to what the upgrades are, what the rewards are, but I can tell you this. He's a good father. He gives good gifts, and his word is eternal. And his word says, if you do stuff, I'll give you stuff. And those principles will never disappear. Therefore, we have an infinite future of rewards and blessings and things. Okay? So great question. Uh, Yeah, over here, Luke. And worship leader, you can come on up, whoever that is. Oh, yeah, great. So... uh, one of the statements I made during the teaching was there are many passages when you're reading about his judgment that you want to ask yourself the question, where does this judgment that I'm reading about in this specific verse, whatever the verse, where does this occur? When does this unfold? When does this find fullness? Uh, And then Luke brought up the point, okay, so what about Revelation 14, verse 7? Is that one of those verses that's referring to the great white throne of judgment or not? Revelation 14, 7 says... Um, he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who has made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. This one is not specifically related to the great white throne of judgment, but would still have some level of overflow and an impact. Uh, but the hour of his judgment, that's another great phrase for us to know. The day of his judgment, the hour of his judgment, when you read those phrases, those are, I'm going to just say always, and if it's not always, there's only probably one or two chances where it's, occasions where it's not. If it says hour or day of his judgment, it's actually referring to the period of the great tribulation and the judgment right there at the end. So that's the hour or the day of his judgment. Uh, but then you've also got these other judgment passages that are talking about like the establishing of his throne for judgment kind of phraseology. And those are ones you want to look at and more view in reference to uh, the great white throne of judgment as the primary. But you know, the Lord is always accomplishing. He's playing 10-dimensional chess on us. And so uh, at any given point, there's layers of revelation. But it's fair to ask the question, what's the primary? You know, what is what is primarily being uh, addressed in this situation? And as I'll just tell you, for me, as uh, somebody that loves the word, asking that question has caused me to gape and laugh and cry in countless prayer meetings over the last years. As I study the end times and I look at a passage I was always familiar with, and then I go, what's the primary on this? I'll give you a great example. Today we're at this Psalm Assembly. It's a beautiful moment. There's a beautiful you know, um, uh, moment of repentance and things are happening, it's, it's awesome. And rightly so, the word of God was applied related to, uh, lo, uh, you know, let every high mountain be made low and every valley be raised up. And the most common usage of that verse is in reference to like, let all the bad stuff get leveled out. You know, like let's let every high and lofty thing, let it be brought low. Every lowly thing that's not seen by God let it, or by people or esteemed, let it be brought up. That's how that is mostly applied in the kingdom of God. But when you look at that passage, its primary reason for existence is when Jesus Christ comes back to the planet, he's going to make the physical mountains level and he's going to make the physical valleys raised up probably from the dirt of those mountains that's getting low. I mean, that is the primary for that verse. 
But that's mind-blowing because that's never that's not what we ever thought before, but that's actually exactly what it really, really means. And yes, we can use it to say, you're a God who can level all the high things, bring down all the mountains. I think that's a great way to pray that verse, but it's not the primary intention. So that's just one of those things that's like, it's a good point of reference framework you wanna have as you read the word. Lord, what are you mostly aiming at us understanding in the most direct sense from this Bible verse? And then what ways can we use it for life, birthday parties and gift card, you know, This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.